If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. So Lisa Lampanelli. Yeah, buddy. This this woman, um, in my in my opinion, one of the best female comics of all time. Yeah. She ripped people. She was that super um, dark uh, insult a, comic. Just yeah, just yeah. would go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, she her big break was like those those roasts, right? Oh my god, she those did, are my favorite. Yeah, she roasted who did you roast? Uh, Chevy Chevy Chase, Dennis Leary, Pamela Anderson. That was the big one. I think that's the one that. People really got to got to see who she was. Yeah, that's the famous one where Courtney Love looked like she was all on drugs during the roast. <laughs> yeah, and she she, did. yeah, she was out of it. I think they must have replayed that a million times. That's actually the first time that I found Lisa was on that. So that was what she shares in this episode. She talks about that was the big break when people found her. Yep, and then she's been nominated for Grammys for her comedy albums. Um, she was a celebrity. She was a, a contestant on The Celebrity Apprentice. Uh, actually, made some waves on that show. Oh my gosh, she tells a Donald Trump joke in this. <laughs> it's so fucking yes. good. It's so great. Oh, and and epic. then she she kind of went through this huge transformation. I mean, she lost over a hundred pounds, had uh, bariatric surgery, and is now like a a fitness and health coach, which is quite interesting. Um, and so we talked to her a little bit about that as well. I mean, this podcast interview is hilarious. We have a lot of fun with her, but she also goes deep. Um, and uh, overall, really enjoyed it. It was really awesome to meet her because she's somebody that I really well. Uh, you can see why watching. so many people liked her so much and basically allowed her to insult them. Like you know, you have to have that kind of quality where people just you know they they could feel that you're a good person even though you know you're coming at them a bit. Right. So anyway, we had a lot of fun uh, interviewing uh, Lisa. Um, absolute blast. You can find her. On her website, lisalampanelli.com. Lampanelli spelled L-A-M-P-A-N-E-L-L-I. Um, and then, of course, on Instagram, at Lisa Lampanelli. Um, you're going to enjoy this interview quite a bit. Also, this month, MAPS Split. This is one of our most popular bodybuilder programs. It's advanced. There's a lot of volume. I don't want to give it away, Sal. There's a lot of volume. If you're not advanced, if your body can't take it, probably not the right program for you. But if you've been working out for a while and you want to train hardcore style, it's 50% off. Here's what you do. Go to mapsplit.com. There's two S's in the middle there. M-A-P-S-S-P-L-I-T.com. Use the code SPLIT50, S-P-L-I-T-5-0, for the discount. Again, you can get that program at mapsfitnessproducts.com, and make sure you use the code SPLIT50 for the discount. And that's it. So without any further ado, here we are interviewing Lisa Lampanelli. The queen of mean. You want to bring it right up to your face. Thing up okay. there is your amplifier. Hmm. Right here. Why am I taking orders from this guy? <laughs> <laughs> we see that every day. The least threatening guy in the whole place. <laughs> oh, so I'm don't, 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 don't let him fool you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. He's like, we call him the He's like a rabid chihuahua. He'll come after you. Is he the power Jew? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, no more racial jokes. No. No, please do. I can't. Why not? Don't worry. This is probably up there with the least PC show you've done. Obviously, you've done Howard Stern, so Howard's all over the fucking place. But we're right up there with that. We actually were coined as the Howard Stern of fitness when we started. I read that. I was very impressed. I was. Especially since you got that little producer who's annoying running around telling me where to put 
put things near my mouth. Calm down, buddy. I know you're turned on. Six to 12 inches in front of your face, please. Oh, wow. Calm down. That sounded dirty, but hey, you know. So you actually did a a follow-up interview. I heard you say right before we got on air that Mm -hmm. you did something with some of the TMZ guys. Was that post the fucking launching the dude off your show and shit? Did you do that after the fact? Oh, my God. Oh, the San Jose Nightmare Show. Yes. Oh, that was here? You know what's wild? Oh, my God. That was the sickest shit ever because I had decided to retire from stand-up about a year ago. Right. So that was one of my, I think, my second to last show. And you know how when you give notice at a job, you have very little patience (laughs) left? Oh, yeah. That was my version of being the postal worker and murdering the whole freaking place. (laughs) So I realize now, maybe I should have been more loving and gentle. But part of me is like, you know what? You're yelling at my show. Like, how dare you? And I'm still that way. Like, well, no matter what I do, I'm like, you can't just like interrupt. You can't just like do what you want. And he was a drunken idiot. So part of me was like, I had a little compassion for him afterwards, but then more for myself. um, (laughs) Did he say anything specific or was it just like he's being obnoxious? Okay, I'll give you guys the exclusive since we're in San Jose, the city of nightmares for me. Okay, Man Jose is what we call it. Oh yeah, of course you do. What happened was I'm doing the show. There's a broad who is about, I don't know, I would say probably 60. She's on crutches and people behind her were being way too loud for her. I could just tell by her face she was annoyed and like she was like kind of holding her ears. So I said to her, Miss, I said, come on, move up, move up. I go, don't worry, there's a seat up here. I go, come on. So apparently it was taking too long for Mr. Freaking Wonderful. And he goes, shut the F up and start telling jokes. And my thing is like, okay, I'm trying to be nice to this battle axe with the crutches because I'm a new empathetic, compassionate <laughs> whore myself. It's all new to you, yeah. And all of a sudden, this guy's saying, and it somehow triggered me because my thing is when a guy tells me to shut up, I've never had a boyfriend tell me to shut up. My father was a gentleman, would never do that. My brother's not like that. So I'm like, this guy's telling me to shut up. Oh, bitch. It's on. Oh, hell no. <laughs> yeah. So I went absolutely apeshit, which you saw on TMZ. And I thought it was, was kind epic. of hilarious because here's the best part. Okay. He goes to me, I, and because I always dreamed about doing this, and I said, I got to do this before I retire. I go, you know what, man? I go, guess what? I'll give your effing money back. How's that sound, man? How much was it? And he goes, no, no, I'll... I'll I'll give you money back. And I go, okay. How stupid is this guy? So he gives me 20 bucks. And I go, okay, the optics on this are... I either, because you know somebody's filming, right? Right. So I either crumble it up and throw it in his face. I keep it, which looks <laughs> makes me look super broke ass. Or I rip it up, which is wasteful. So I crumple up and throw it in his face. What I should have done is to get good play, I should have gone, I'm taking this 20 and donating it to the Me Too Foundation. <laughs> you know, I, uh, that yeah. was dumb of me. I don't know my own PR strength. So I crumple up, throw it in his face. And then I've done something I wanted to always do in comedy. I looked at my watch. I so I had already done an hour and 10 and I go, I'm done. And I threw the mic, which I love. I've oh, never done wow. it. And it went, which I love that sound. And then I was like, okay, I'm done. And I went downstairs and I was laughing so hard. And then TMZ picks it up and I thought it was funny. Yeah. But of course then everybody gets up in arms. Like oh, Kathy God. Griffin starts defending me and I'm like, no, no, no. TMZ and me are friends. Like they're not a-holes. They're yeah. kind of pumping up my career. And I, I made a video for them. But bah, it was a blast. Really? Some San Jose people were pissed. And part of it was like, well, you know what? Have better security, control your people, and then uh, life is better. Yeah. Agreed. You know? So now it's been like a year now. So do you 
Do you miss it a little bit? Because I know. Oh, I, God. I, I, listen, let me tell you something, handsome. I'm going to call him handsome because I didn't listen to any of the pretty names. Because you're blindingly yeah, yeah, yeah. freaking gorgeous, except producer. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no offense, but he's always the one I get. Yeah. All right. I, you know I'm joking, of course, because I have a lovely personality. No, um, but seriously, I say now that I'm not doing stand up. I got out before I hated it. I always mm-hmm. do that. I think what you should do in life is you get out of a marriage before you hate each other. You yeah. get out of a job before you can't stand it anymore. And you just don't kind of make yourself miserable for more long, for longer than is necessary. Yeah, yeah. So I miss it so little. The only time I missed it was when the award season was up. I usually would tweet during the award season and make fun of all the ladies and how they look and their dresses. But now that nice. I'm all body positive and all that crap, I've got to not be mean about Viola Davis's awful gold tight dress. Did I just say that? Yes, I'm No, but it does. I could still be funny, though, yeah. but I kind of can't be mean anymore because it's really not in my cards. Anymore. I was going to ask you about like how. Yeah. How do you keep that up? How do you keep being funny? You know, now that you've shifted so much away from like insulting I people. I know it just is something that I don't feel great about anymore. Like, it's just not me anymore. You know how we evolve, kind of. You'll, sure. you'll understand that someday. Yeah, um, yeah <laughs> When you're, you're still you're going 12. through it. <laughs> no, no, but we all, like, we get older. We go, oh, that's I've done that already. Like, the last roast I did was on the Howard Stern Show. That's where we announced mm. this whole retirement. And I was like, oh, this is so great. I don't have to do this anymore, but I don't hate doing it. Yeah. Again, mm-hmm. get out before you hate it. Yeah. And yeah. I say this to your producer, who's clearly hating life right now. Right, <laughs> he, he He's like, no, I just yeah. hate you, bitch. <laughs> well, the, cl- the climate has changed a lot, though, in right. the last like five years. People get offended with everything. I oh, mean, I know. Your, your comedy was so, I mean, some of my favorite comedy. I have a very dark yeah. sense of humor. Right. I think you're like one of the leaders of that. But the, the, the political climate has changed so much. I mean, what do you think about all this? Comedians telling, getting I don't told know. they can't. Dude, I've got, I got so lucky because... Because I was like, wow, I was sort of grandfathered into when you could do that kind of comedy. Yeah. So my fans already accepted it. Mm-hmm. But I was like, oh, millennials are not going to get this. Because yeah. you're talking about very politically correct people, people who are overly earnest. I mean, they'd stare at you if you drink out of a plastic straw. You know, these people want to kill you for killing a sea turtle. I'm like, you know what? Like, if, <laughs> it's like, that's not why I quit comedy. But I go, eh. It's not really moving me forward. It's not mm. moving them forward. I've done it already. You know what? I was in the business for 31 years. That's a long run. Yeah. And they say yeah. now people have three careers. You know, at first I was a journalist. I wrote about rock bands mm-hmm. in the 80s. Then I was a comic. And I'm like, oh, now I can coach and like do workshops and still have fun. Yeah. So it kind of just is my journey, I guess. Now, what about the, the, the therapeutic side? Like I, so I had the opportunity uh, a few years back. I opened one of the first medical marijuana clubs in the Bay area, right across the street was a comedy club. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And for two years I hung out with all the comedians. And one of the things that I found in common with all of them was they all had like this, this internal dark side. Mm. And when they get out on stage was, that was when they let it all out. Right. And I would think if that was kind of your therapy for 30 something years, there would be kind of something missing. Have you found something else to, Oh, it was never my therapy. I always yeah. had therapy for years. And I think that's why those comics, the ones you're talking about, maybe stay dark mm. and can keep not being sort of progressing emotionally or spiritually the way they might want to. Yeah. I think the ones who are really smart get some therapy and help because mm-hmm. it is a dark 
kind of thing. It's like fills the hole. Oh, pay attention to me. I'm the only one up here with a microphone. I can yell at you. You know, so if you stay in that, you're going to be sort of in that mode all the time. So I was starting to get therapy. God, in my 20s. And of course, I have an Italian mother. So every time I'd go, she'd be like, ain't you done yet? And I'm like, bitch, it was your fault. (laughs) I mean, I love her. God bless her. She's 89. When are you dying? I want the house. (laughs) But like, I think because I worked on myself so much, I just saw it wasn't filling the hole anymore. I thought I think that's what it is too about anything. Whether with me it was food, relationships, comedy, it just didn't fill the hole like it used to. And now it's just with self acceptance. So how long did you do the therapy, and are you still currently going through therapy? Oh my God, I finally found a therapist smarter than me. This is what happens when you're smart. I used to just outsmart every therapist. Like I would just like because I know I've worked on myself so much. I know how to like use the buzzwords. You're like, and, bitch, I've seen Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, I'm like, honey, <laughs> yeah, I can't. So. I found one. My friend goes, okay, this one isn't going to BS you. She's way smarter than both of us. You got to go to her. And she's an hour and a half session. So it's like hardcore. Like you have to stay in it. And I'm finally finally figuring out like my deep stuff. Because the surface stuff is kind of easy to work. Not easy. It's where most people get to. Mm-hmm. Maybe, hey, why do you use food? Why do you use alcohol? Blah, blah, blah. Mine are like, what's the real shit driving the negativity or the self-hate or whatever? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it just seems a lot better. And I look forward to seeing her because I go, oh, I could be better for people out there who need help. Right. Yeah. What, what was the impetus that got you to, to, to lose all that weight? Because you you, you, got, you look so different now. Than I'm fucking yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm like a 27. <laughs> no, what happened was I think I just got sick of looking in the mirror and going, depression, eat more, depression, self-hate. You know, it just kept going. There was no way out of it. And I was like, wait a minute. What I got to do is I'd been using food as emotional tender since 18, since mm-hmm. I went away to college. So I go, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to start working on this emotional eating, get the surgery, and then by the time the weight comes off, be able to keep it off. Because this is the whole problem with people who get weight loss surgery. They forget you got to work on your insides. Mm -hmm. It's an inside job for them. It's not an outside job. So I said, okay. So I kept the weight off so far seven years, and every day is a freaking struggle. Mm. Because my go-to was like, okay, grab this when you're upset. And now I got to actually feel my feelings, which sucks. Yeah, I was just going to say, a lot of times people will replace because you take away that that, yep. that comfort. And now what do I do now? Did you find yourself trying to replace it? I did have one, which was shopping. Mm. And since I'm such a cheap bitch now, I would only shop at like Forever Slutty One or, <laughs> <laughs> or H. And I'm like, I'm not going to go broke. And that's the problem. When, when it doesn't really adversely affect you. You keep doing it. But then I'm like, wait a minute. I notice I'm doing it. So Mm -hmm. I'm at the age where at 57, you better start noticing your patterns. So I said, stop. So I stopped shopping for a year. And I'm like, oh, I got feelings. Like, But here's the thing with feelings. I always tell people I coach. I'm like, you know feelings can't kill you, okay? You're going to stop crying someday. We all think if we start crying, we'll never stop. Mm -hmm. So we go... Try not eating just once and let's see what really comes out. I find now, even well, when my dad died years ago, I would like, even now when something comes up, I go, oh my God, if I let myself, it's going to be a whole day in bed crying. It's maybe five minutes. You just let it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what I had to replace. It was just feeling it. Because I mean, as queer as it sounds, you have to feel it to heal it. Yeah. You cannot 
just go around the feelings. No, no, you have to go. The only way through is through. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Literally. Wow. Are you in AA? Uh, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. The only reason I ask is because I heard like that, that in like Al-Anon one day. No, so no. You should probably be in AA. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying. That's what I feel I've been told about that you. before. Yeah. That's the 12th step. Was, so was that a part of your, was that like the beginning of this whole transformation? Was it yeah. that weight loss? Yeah. Wow. I think what happened was, okay, so I'm married to this guy, Jimmy Big Balls. And we decided, it's because he had a name. large yeah. nutsack. I mean, it was pretty horrifyingly huge. <laughs> I've heard I, you describe I, it. I, 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 I hadn't, yeah, hadn't yeah. seen anything that big and hairy since I stood next to Rosie O'Donnell at Curbs. <laughs> <laughs> so this Jimmy Big Balls and me, right. we were both 100-something pounds overweight. And I said, you know, let's go to this doctor who worked on a friend of ours just to talk about it. Let's see. And in my mind, I'm like, I'm doing it. Because I made a list of all the diets and exercise plans I'd ever done, and I just couldn't make them work. I go to the doctor. He's like, that guy, he's amazing. He's a very warm personality. And he said, you know, how many people do you know at 70 who weigh what you guys do? And I'm thinking, holy crap, I'm 50. Like, I don't want to just live 20 years. So I said, okay, I'm doing this. Of course, Big Balls was like, when we were walking in, he's like, I'm not doing it. <laughs> we get out of there. He's like, look, here's what we do. He goes, you get it in April. If you don't die on the table, I get it in June. And I'm like, what a gentleman. Yeah, right. so we Ladies getting, first. Yeah, yeah, isn't that sweet? That's yeah, very that Italian it. of him, you know? Totally. So we go, we get the weight loss surgery. And uh, I think then when my father got sick and I felt so happy as far as taking care of him and the joy you feel, even though someone is, you know, in hospice, you feel this joy that, oh, excuse me, you feel this joy that you get to give to them. Mm -hmm. That I was like, when he passed away, I'm like, oh, I miss that service. Mm. Like there was nothing I was doing for anybody else. Mm. So I start thinking, okay, how can I help people? I write this play about food and weight. Mm -hmm. I, I do these different like little kind of projects with people and I start coaching people. I was like, this feels like what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm. And again, just listen to the insides said stand-up isn't really bringing me that joy anymore because you don't want to lose that sparkle. Sure. You know? So that play, was that the inspiration behind like kind of what you're doing yeah, now? Yeah, yeah. And the storytelling nights I do now about food and weight or about that. And just like even talking to people like, dude, do you guys, I mean, you coach individuals, right? Mm -hmm. Right. How much do you want to fucking murder most people? <laughs> I mean, the, I just, the majority. No, seriously. Yeah. And I have to learn. It's not about me. It's mm -hmm. about what they can do. So now I work with some people with the food stuff, some with just emotional stuff, some with, you know, just, you know, terrible things that happen to them. And I'm like, oh, my God, OK, they need to go slow. They need to change at their rate. But I want to be the one who saves them. Mm -hmm. And now I go, wait, I couldn't save my dad. I can't save them. Mm -hmm. no. So it's a journey for me, too. It's learning that I'm kind of. See, here's the problem. I think my life is so much better than everybody else's. I'm just like, just do exactly what I did and you'll be fine. But that's not where they are. Yeah. I find humor to be one of the best ways to get close to people and kind of break through the difficult you know, struggles. Do you find yeah. your skills as a comedian come in handy now when you're coaching people? Well, yeah, especially in workshops because I do these three-day workshops at retreat centers and stuff. And um, I'm telling you, when I do storytelling is sort of part of it where you go, I'm going to tell my story so that they feel they can tell theirs because their vulnerability, it has to come out. So I find it comes out and they're laughing. And then at the end, when they fill out the feedback forms, they're like, oh my God, I'm so glad you use humor mm. because people 
we can't be this heavy about the subject all the time. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, ooh, when it naturally comes out, it's okay. So I don't have to ignore anything I used to do for a living. Right, right. But yeah. you're not insulting them. Though. No, I, I rarely, <laughs> rarely look at somebody that in a workshop and say, hey, you fat cunt. Yeah. You know, just, just, oh, that would be epic, though. I know. Yeah. Actually, you know what? When I'm first, what, I'm still learning how to coach, but it's so funny because like one woman, she was so annoying me, like uh, just on coaching call. I go, you know, you're really fucking frustrating. And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> like she's never heard that. Before. Yeah, well, that's the thing too. And then, and she goes, you know what? Why? And I go, because you're not moving at the rate I think you should, and that's all on me. And I was just a bad coach, so I'm sorry about that. And now she's like a star, like oh, not because gosh. of me, but because she like pushed through her stuff. Oh, but you just learn along the way. You yeah. Know? Have you, what was your first success story? Do you, can you, do, is it was it? Can you remember that? Oh my God, this guy. Okay, this guy, Steve. He is like coaching Tony Soprano. I know how Lorraine Bracca's character felt in, uh, in in The Sopranos. This guy, Steve, he's always like, yeah, you know, I got two girlfriends. I got Adderall, Ambien, and alcohol, but I, I'm doing good. You know? No, but he's great. And what's good about him is one night he had just had it. He's like, I'm doing it. I'm taking that fucking Adderall and Ambien. I'm flushing it down the toilet. And I, I go to him, I don't believe you. And he's like, I'll send you a freaking video. I go, you better, bitch. So he gets it, he flushes it. And he, he has, he's been off it ever since. But what makes me laugh about him is he now wants me to send pictures of him doing everything. I'm like, stop it. Nobody wants to see your nutsack. You know? But you know what's funny? Everybody, like, it's, do you find different personalities? You have to treat them different. Absolutely. Like there's some women or I, oh my God, I coach two young girls, like teenagers. You have to be like a mentor to them versus a coach mm-hmm. with this guy, Steve, with a couple of guys that could be hardcore mm-hmm. with, with some of the women, I'm like more gentle, but it's just sort of, they dictate how it is. What's the youngest person you've had to coach so far? Cause I imagine oh, that would be the challenge. It is. Cause yeah. I'm still learning my ideal client. They always says your ideal client shows up as you in a former life mm. or your former self. So when I meet a teenager who somebody refers me to, I'm like, Oh my God, I was just like that. Like, mm-hmm. or the lady with food issues or the Yenta who I said was frustrating. Who's been a more frustrating person than me to people, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, Oh, this 12 year old girl. And she was sort of um, on the verge of being anorexic. And I was like, Oh, that's mm-hmm. going to be tough. Ends up, she's not really just anorexic. She's freaking skinny and her parents overreacted and we have so much fun and we talk and it's almost like meeting them where they are. Mm. I found training people that I would learn more about myself as I was working with other people. Is it helping you as well? Oh my God. I learned so much through them and I tell them too. I go, you're helping me work on my stuff and specific examples too. Because honestly, I just got off the phone with a guy on the way over here. He's so frustrating. And he has a terrible boyfriend he's just like so bad like you know and I, you know how you know that yeah. and you just go oh we use her and this and that and i had really given it to him last session i said well do you really want to know what you think because i won't tell you if you don't want to know and he said yeah so i told him what i thought and um he got on the phone today and he said i decided i am not breaking up with johnny and i said okay so part of me was like you an idiot you self-hater <laughs> and then i go so what can i help you with and I'm like, that's helping me with my issue of letting people mm. go, mm. letting, ugh, meeting them where they are, which I hate, mm. but I have to, because right. that's the only way you get through to people. It is. And, and you're, you're such an, uh, you come across as such an honest kind of blunt, have you always been that way where you just tell people what you feel? Did you get in trouble as a kid? 
Yeah. I remember in high school, I had a sit in a row called Murderer's Row because it was a Catholic school. But like me and these other kids were just always saying stuff. And this was like, but we were smart. We were in honors classes, so they didn't want to really punish us. But they're like, oh, these ones can't be trusted. They're just (laughs) speaking out and yelling all the time because we're funny and smart. So I found I would always sort of have no filter. And yes, it would get me in trouble. It still does. But, you know, I try to limit it as much as I can. Mm. But honestly, sometimes I'll say to them, do you want to know what I really think? Or do you want me to give you an exercise to work on? So it's their choice. Do you appreciate it when people are like that with you? Yeah. Super blunt. I told my friends lately, I go, challenge me. I go, you can't be the person who yeses me anymore. Because, of course, I used to be when I was like, you know, beginning to get famous and all this selling out places. Oh yeah, everything. Oh no, you were right to yell at that person. Oh no, no, that was right. You should yell at the desk <laughs> clerk. Yeah, you know, you should call her a C word. Like what? No one should do that. <laughs> and now I have friends who actually call me on it and oh my God. Okay. During my last storytelling show, it's a storytelling show called Losing It and it's three women and a guy talking about their weight and food issues, but really funny stories. So one of the girls comes out and she is supposed to put on her costume and her boobs are like truly hanging out. And I'm like, that's distracting for a show. That's like not the costume I told you. So I like took her sweater, like, because I'm so much older, and I pulled it shut. And my friend Frank goes, You really like kind of me tooed her. And I'm oh, like, no. Oh my God, did I? And he's <laughs> like, Yeah. You know what's wild? He would have never told me that a year ago because he was scared of me. Right. Now mm. I tell my friends, Thanks for telling me. Yeah, it hurt. It hurt that I had to apologize to her. Like, mm. I hate apologizing, but now I have to. So you just can't. Yeah, I have to have friends who go, look, that was out of line. You said something about apologizing to the individual, but not yes. the group. I yeah, love that. I, I thought that, that was absolutely brilliant. But so how exactly how I feel, because, again, the story of the guy in the front who completely shut down at one joke. And I'm like, OK, what just hit him is bad. Mm-hmm. And I just asked him like interview style, like, sir, what happened? Like your face just fell. And he told me it was you know a particular joke. And I was like, can you come backstage? I want to talk to you Mm -hmm. after the show. And it was great. But yeah, it's like not if I apologize to quote all gay men, all gay women, all black people, it's like half of them are going, but we like you. Why are you? It doesn't make sense. But if you're alienating them. yeah, Yeah. In a gentlemanly way, if somebody emails and says, that hurt my feelings because dot, dot, dot. I'll be like, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, I'll apologize the rest of my life. I don't care. Yeah, but do you think people are just oversensitive, too, nowadays? I mean, God, everybody gets their feelings hurt uh, so easy. It seems it like seems everybody's like it, right? a little bit of a snow snowflake yeah. and all that. I, I have, you know, these uh, these millennial friends now because uh, one of my nieces has a big, big, big podcast. And I meet a lot of these millennials. I don't think every one of them's a snowflake now that I met these girls. Mm-hmm. But I go, some of them really are. Like, you can't say anything. And I just go, eh, you know Mm. what? If I offend you personally, that's okay. Mm. I'm sorry about that, but I'm not going to, hey, put it this way. Her partner on her podcast is trans, but I knew her, him when, see, I knew him when he was a woman. Mm. Mm -hmm. So I consistently say she. Mm -hmm. She knows that in my heart, I mean it as a mistake, right, right. which is true. I even have trouble now even saying, like, I don't know sure. my old language. Right. So I think in their hearts, a lot of these people aren't that sensitive. 
But we make everything about, oh, my God, you've just hurt the entire community. What fucking community? Yeah. <laughs> what do I have a community of old cunts with 57-year-old uh, bad hair with the blue streak? Shut the fuck up. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, it is really. And, oh, my God, and anything about body positivity. Like, you always have to be like, everybody's beautiful. Every, well, come on. Yeah. Are they? Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> was it, Lisa, was there, was there an evolution uh, of your stand-up? Like, did you, did you come out the gates? as an insult comic or did you evolve into that what was the evolution yeah. like for you well they always say like you never start out where you end up like Roseanne didn't say oh I'm gonna be the angry housewife or whatever mm -hmm. so you kind of like see where it goes and I would notice I was doing regular old comedy but then I noticed I love talking to the audience just like talking to them like just interviewing or whatever so then it starts I start pushing it and I see they're not getting mad at me and then I start with the racial and the sexual and this that the other and I'm like, I, they like me. Like, there's no way anybody's getting mad. So I just kept going, and it really was a good niche, but never felt forced. Yeah. So I think the way comics, like a guy, uh, my waiter last night at a place in L.A. goes to me, you know, I'm doing comedy, so I'm trying to balance it between, like, raw and stuff they'll like. I go, yeah, no. You got to just commit, because they're going to sense you're hedging, and then they're mm. going to be like, this guy's insincere. I go, just commit, and you'll either make it as yourself or your fail as yourself, and it's better that way. Yeah. So yeah, I just kind of evolved over about seven years. Oh wow, because oh. I've heard, uh, I don't remember where I heard it, but uh, someone said to be a good comic, it takes like 10 years. Oh my God, just, yeah. Is that true? Dude, yes, and 15-ish. And you know what's funny? I always say like this too, with my, how I looked at audiences for the first seven years, it was like, oh my God, I don't, I can't believe you don't get me. And then the next seven years was like, fuck you if you don't get me. And like after that, it was like, if you get me, that's great. If you don't, that's okay too. But that comes with also therapy and going, like even <laughs> now, somebody could be listening and going, oh, she'd be a great coach for me. Others would be like, ah, eh, she's too rough. Mm -hmm. And then you go, eh, that's okay, I'm not for everybody. Right. Who mm -hmm. wants to be for everybody? Mm -hmm. right. You can't be all things to all people. Yeah. No, and I think you become less genuine that way and less effective. Totally. You're just not effective that way. At w what was the peak of your stand-up career? And what was that like? Because at one point you were all over the place. Oh, my God. The big break seemed to be that Pam Anderson roast. Because yes. what happened with That's Pam right. was, this was so hilarious. I'm only doing clubs at the time. You know, doing the, you know good dates, good clubs. But I'd go in and it'd be hard to sell out because I wasn't known at all. So I go in and I show up at the Sacramento uh, punchline, I think. And... They go, all the shows are sold out this weekend. And I go, who's here? Because I like didn't think I was selling out any shows. They go, you are. And I go, why? Like, why did I sell out? Is it gay pride or something? <laughs> and they're like, no, the Pam Anderson roast was on. And that's the one everybody watched because mm -hmm. it was cool. And also because Courtney Love acted like such a nut at it. Yeah. Everybody wanted to see it. And then they discovered me through it. So I kind of have those two battle axes to thank. Oh, wow. yeah. Wow. yeah, so that's when things started. I started doing theaters. Then like my big shows were like Radio City and Carnegie Hall and stuff like that, and it was pretty wild. That was that the the one where Courtney Love seen she was just totally out of. Oh it. my God, yes, that I do remember because it now. made the news, it made CNN, yes. all this stuff, and people were like we got to watch this thing. So I kind of got caught up in that, which was really good. What's your weirdest encounter that you've had with another celebrity? Oh my God, I don't even meet. I meet a few, but I, I always assume they won't know who I am. So I kind of go up and I like tell them who I am and I can't even tell if they don't know. Like for instance, at the Grammys, okay, I got nominated for two Grammys. 
Last year, I go to them. I take my little niece and nephew because I'm like, oh, they'll get a kick out of it because there's nothing less fun than going to an award show. It yeah. fucking sucks because <laughs> they give out the Grammy for best comedy like at the afternoon loser ceremonies with the 800 Zydeco Awards and the Polka Band Awards and stuff. And the nighttime show is the cool part. So I'm, I'm at the Grammys. We fly home. It's so exciting for the kids and stuff. So my niece knows that I, as even this old twat that I am, I'm obsessed with Derek Huff from Dancing with the Stars. Okay. I don't know why, but he's so cute. <laughs> so we're on the plane and my niece goes to me, hey, I think that's your boyfriend, Derek Huff, up there. And I go, oh my God, oh my God. So I go, let me know. You stare at him. So we get off the plane. We're at baggage claim and he's looking at his phone and she goes, Aunt Lisa, Derek Huff made a rookie celebrity mistake. He looked up from his phone and I know it's him. So I go over and this is me because my dream is to be on Dancing with the Stars. That's how queer I am. So I go up and this, I swear I must have like acted like it's such an idiot. I go, hey, Derek Huff, I'm Lisa Lampanelli. You know who I am. And he like starts backing away. And I go, I told my manager I have to be on Dancing with the Stars, but only if I dance with you. And he's like, okay, well, bye. And I was like, I just hit on a 12 year old. <laughs> and that wasn't cool and he knew not who the fuck I was oh, even this weekend I was at the Tony Robbins thing the yeah. seminar yeah. I meet yes, I, please oh, please it was wild it was fucking 40 degrees fe- frozen my my C word off the whole time <laughs> but I meet Rashad Jen- Jennings you know this guy big NFL player yeah, 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 one yeah, dancing okay. with the stars yeah. I go up to him and he's like hi and I'm like I'm a celebrity too. I don't even, that's how bad I am with celebrities. I don't even know how to talk to them. So, hey, God bless. But yeah, Tony Robbins, I froze my sea off, man. They keep it 40 degrees. Where was it at? Was it at the arena? Where was it at? LA Convention Center. Oh, okay. So it's a big, it's a big, it's a big spot. How Dude, many, many 15,000 people. Wow. Now I'm a celebrity, as I just told Rashid Jenkins, or Jennings, whatever his name is. <laughs> that guy. So I got to go for free. For tw- uh, that's twenty five hundred buck ticket. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. pretty good. So I was very close to Tony Robbins. Like I could have touched him, you know. But I swear to God, he yells. He makes you jump. Yeah. <laughs> if there's one thing I'm high not comfortable fives. with, I, I like a high five every now and again in the right place. But I will tell you, okay. this freaking jumping. I like sitting. I'm very into sitting. I go, is there some place I could just sit and take notes? <laughs> no, you gotta jump. <laughs> After five hours, I said, I gotta go back. So I kind of dipped in every few hours, but I couldn't take yeah. it that much. How massive is he in person? He's very cool. He is. Huh? I tell you one thing I learned from Tony Robbins. First of all, his message is good. Because at first, I, go, I went with a very cynical attitude. I go, okay, it's gonna be like, a, drink the Kool-Aid. This, he slips, this is what I like. He slips spirituality in there because mm. I'm all about gratitude and working on mm-hmm. yourself and appreciating life. He takes all these people, whips them into a frenzy and injects all this stuff about gratitude and about self-love and self-acceptance and all that stuff and being a leader of your community versus mm-hmm. just of a company. And I go, oh, he's being sly. He's getting it in there. <laughs> so while I could have shot myself in the face... <laughs> running around and high-fiving and jumping, yeah. I say at least the message was good. Yeah, no. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Do you have it? Do you have a spiritual practice? Is that part of what you're, you're going through as well? Well, I do gratitude all the time. And uh-huh. it's weird when you don't force gratitude, because I never had that one with Oprah. She'd be like, write down five things in your journal. Yeah, right. Oh, God, shove it. <laughs> and I was just like, you know, I can't. It seems forced. But there's something about when you just take stock every day, just sort of even... 
not not on purpose. It just sort of starts happening. Like you start, oh my God, I'm so lucky. Mm. Like even today I had to get, I, I have like four hours sleep. I fly here and I'm like, oh, I'm so lucky I have this opportunity. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, where'd that even come from? Mm. I think if you just work on yourself and you know, gratitude works, it's impossible for it not to make your day better. Yeah. Mm. So I always tell all the entes I work with, I go, you got to put in something with gratitude. I don't care if you write it down every day but it freaking changes your life. Mm. What a great message. I heard you say on a podcast that you were celibate or you were not having sex. Is Seven still- something. Well, how many years now since Jimmy Big Balls? We got a divorce two years into the marriage. I started being celibate, which probably contributes to the fact that we got divorced like four years later. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> which, How did you tell him that? Hey, you may have I, to I kind of just happened. Just happened. <laughs> yeah. But I'm like emotionally shut down that mm. way. So that's what I'm still working on is mm. going... I find no problem being in a room of 30,000 people, 50,000 people. I could do a concert for 100,000. I could be like a Tony Robbins Mm -hmm. if I would ever be so lucky. Let me tell you, one-on-one, I'm horrible. Mm. So I'm working on the friendship part first with people, and then if that's supposed to happen, it will. Mm. And I'm lucky because I don't miss having a boyfriend or husband because I had one since, you know, from age 12 to 50 without a break. Mm. So now I'm like, oh, it's good being lonely. It's good being alone. It's not using it as a numbing thing to fill the hole. Mm-hmm. No pun intended. No pun intended. Oh, wow. Dirty mind. I know. <laughs> you know where I was going. Speaking of practices, did you have like a series of practices that you would do to get you ready for to go do a big live event? Or Never. Guess yeah. what I would do? You'd laugh, dude, because nothing. Things ever felt so easy as being on stage. Really? Yeah. I, it was just always my, thankfully, something I was given. So this would be me. I'd be at like Morton Steakhouse or whatever with my friends before, and they'd go, Oh, Lisa, it's a five of eight. And I'm going, Motherfucker, it's my show. What are they <laughs> gonna start without me? So I just like, but I'd never be late or anything. Yeah. But I was like, no, like I don't have to get ready. Oh wow. I I didn't even know what I'd say the first few minutes. It's so unfun. When the first thing you say is the same every night. That's great. So it's that raw. Oh my God, it's so much fun. Uh, it's even with workshops now. I go, I know I'm going to tell stories and I know what I what points I have to hit. Yeah. But I'm not sure which one. And the stuff that comes out, I think, comes from that better place. What about when you go in? Do you, do you, can you tell like if uh, this is going to be, I'm going to hit this out the park. I know it's going to be a great show. Can you tell going in or have you been surprised many times where you're like, holy shit, that was incredible. I, I have the worst biggest ego in the world when it comes to performing because it doesn't come difficultly to me Yeah, because I just have personality. Listen, never going to be the smartest person, the most clever joke writer. I just had likability. People liked me, but you know, it's going to be a great show when you get a standing O on the way in. You know, that's insane. That's got to hype you up. That's really cool because you go, oh, they already love me. But I never had like a what I would consider a bad audience like who who were like because they knew who I was already. Mm -hmm. Right. In the beginning. Sure. Like when you're some jerk who's just doing (laughs) open mics, they're like, oh, yeah. Did you have a do you have a favorite show that was epic for you? Oh, well, I did love Radio City and I'll tell you why. And it's never for comedy reasons. It's always because I remember, Okay, Radio City, if you've ever been it's that huge stage and there's the numbers on the floor for the Rockettes. So it says one, two, three, four, all mm-hmm. the way across. So I said to my niece, who was about 12 at the time, I said, listen, me and you and your friend, I said, why don't we learn a dance and we'll dance at Radio City? And we had six months of practice and then we had a big dinner before and this and that. And I'm like, everything comes down with me. It always came down to family. It's really odd because I would think it was the show. Mm-hmm. Then I'd go, oh. That was cool because Emily was involved because oh, wow. we practiced or my dad and mom had dinner with us. It just was weird how if I name my accomplishments, 
it always has to do with friends and family. I never even think about comedy. That's cool. You have a, you have a pretty close family. Yeah, we're really lucky, man. I mean, my mother, like I said, she's a battle axe man. She's never dying. She's eighty nine. This broad. We had a, a party for her at my house last year. The candles have the eight and the nine. She hands them back. She goes, save them for when I'm 98. <laughs> she don't give a, she's not going back anywhere. Box, yeah. I, don't, I talked to her yesterday. She has, she has activities six days a week. I'm like, I don't have activities six days a week. So she's cool. My brother's awesome. He works for ESPN. He's one of the producers of Sports Center. Oh, I cool. have. Nice. He has six awesome kids. Oh my god, they're six kids, awesome! Holy cow! And they wanted them. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't <laughs> believe that, but now I see they're really good kids. And um, a sister with two kids. I love them too. Like it's very weird. Like I've been able to get because I always felt I was so consumed with work mm-hmm. that I didn't really connect as much. And in the past ten years, I've been that's been the priority. Wow! You guys have family traditions. You guys get together for specific holidays or do something. Oh, every, all of them. Roast everybody on Thanksgiving. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> oh, awesome. I love that. Yeah. Um, we basically, when you're Italian, you get together, you eat, and then you fight, and then you—that's the oh. tradition. I'm you know, Italian. They, I, I was going to say this guy, yeah. this, this <laughs> greasy <laughs> one over here, <laughs> meatball. I said I don't know what he yeah. is, yeah. but it's so funny with Italian families because, as you know, you fight and then the next day pretend nothing happened. Yeah, it's not a big deal. Nobody holds a grudge. Yeah. Oh, those yeah. wasps—they have to cut each other out of the will. You got to be an Italian like us. We don't even have a will. Okay, <laughs> it's under the mattress. So yeah, it's really nice that we just kind of. Everything's the same every year. I love that. So so you have no fear getting on stage. You feel great. What scares you then? What makes you nervous? Because something makes everybody Oh, nervous. I have fear of intimacy with um, a partner. Wow. I'm so... Me and my friend Cindy, who went to the Tony Robbins thing yesterday, she's like, well... She was like, everybody there had a fear. She goes, you don't have any except... I'm like, yeah, being in a relationship. Because here's what I love. I love the honeymoon phase. The mm-hmm. first 30... I, I think the first three months. We're just like, oh my God, oh my God, you're so cute. It's I so love perfect. you so much. <laughs> I hope you got video of that because that was yeah. really hot. Yeah, <laughs> and then I sort of just go... I start feeling resentment. I start feeling taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. I start feeling like this isn't an equal. Because my picker was off. Mm-hmm. I always pick guys I can control, even if they look like big guys. I always pick guys who didn't make as much money as me. I always picked. Now I know I love Jimmy. We're still friends, but like I always picked a different level than me. So when you get punk, kind of. <laughs> so yeah, and who didn't mind being called certain things on stage? I go now that I'm not desperate for love, and it's been seven years. I'm like, oh my god, life is so much better for me right now without. I go. I bet what happens someday is I meet some guy, he happens to be an equal, and then it's fine. Mm -hmm. I think it's by not focusing on it. So I focus on what I have. I literally, if my life was exactly this way for the rest of my life, other than coming to San Jose, I'd be great. (laughs) 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 You know, I'm kidding. I flew in special. (laughs) So are are you never going back on stage? Not for stand-up, no. Oh, wow. uh, but the storytelling nights are funny because everybody comes in going, oh, are we going to laugh? And like the story, come on, man. You know, I can't not be funny. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, when I'm here trying to talk about spirituality, yeah. we're laughing. Yeah. So the fact is the storytelling shows are really funny. And the mm. only difference really is it's a full story. So instead of me telling like, set up punchline, set up punchline, it's like, here's what really happened and how fucked up it was. Mm-hmm. Like stories about food rehab. Like I committed myself to 28 days in food rehab. You know, how can that not be funny? 
because here I am, all the girls are freaking anorexic. I could tell because they looked fucking hot. And then here I am, 248 pounds, you know? Yeah. So it's like you tell your truth, but then they just hear like what the point of the story is. Mm. So I love still performing. Yeah. Like, come on, I could probably never stop that. So explain these story times. Like, how, how do they work? This is for people that you're working with and coaching and everybody comes together. Oh, no, no, and- no. This is just a professional bunch of professional actors and comics telling their stories. Oh, yeah. fantastic. So the other thing, seen- yeah, it's like a third thing I do. So there's like the workshops that are groups of people working on the same issue, which mm-hmm. is food and weight or changes of their lives or whatever. And then there's one-on-one coaching, which, you know, uh, again, open to everybody, but pretty soon I'm going to have to slam the door on somebody because they're annoying me. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, if you want to be coached by me, by the way, LisaLampanelli.com, don't annoy me. That's what I should really just put out there. <laughs> and uh, then the storytelling nights are more of a, like an entertainment venue. Mm-hmm. That's excellent. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And you're loving it. I do, man. Like literally, I think the biggest difference is I look at my calendar now and there's nothing in it that I go, ugh. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you, I used to, if I have to look and see, I have to do press that I want to do. Ugh, mm-hmm. I got to pretend to be into it. I got to pretend to be funny today when I'm not feeling it. Now it's like joy. I don't mm-hmm. know what happened. Lifted, you know? Oh, you have you do have a, fa- a phenomenal energy. No, I will admit. Um, thank, thank you, because, boy, can you imagine being with a coach who has the shitty energy? Yeah. <laughs> can you imagine? Can you like, I'll change your life, you cunt. Okay. <laughs> and I think also people said to me when I was you know, taking these workshops on how to become a real coach and a workshop leader, they're like, don't try to be somebody you're not. You bring humor. You bring that funny, tough love, no-nonsense thing. There's a million soft coaches mm-hmm. who are like, um... How are you? They go, look, you are you. That's what you bring to the table. You just be you. So I think we have to bring that. Yeah, I can't can't agree with you more. I've worked with people for a long time. And I think uh, the more I became myself, the more, the easier it was to connect to people and the more effective I became. Well, do you ever have to turn people away? Not out of time constraints, but out of just like, it's just not a match. Oh yeah, no. I, yes, I, I have a few times, and yeah. I just being—I was just very honest with them, and I did mm-hmm. try to find someone else with them. But mm-hmm. if you're not helping them, you're not helping them, right? You know, that's the bottom line. So yeah, I even said to this guy today who was annoying me, I just go, "Well, it sounds like you've got it all together." <laughs> I know, you know, because he he thinks he does, yeah. and I go, "Well, it sounds like you figured out sort of mm-hmm. the retirement plans, sort of figured out your life situation. You have another session paid mm-hmm. for. Why don't you give me a call when there's something I could help you with?" And he's like, no, this has helped me so much. You really helped me question stuff. And I was like, I did. Mm. So I guess we kind of go, I often check in. I go, well, what the fuck do you need me for? Because some mm. of them, their lives are pretty good. And they go, just to have somebody to say, okay, I'm not crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but you're right. You have to, if you don't feel it, you got to farm them out. Uh, you're not helping them. Yeah. So you were on The Apprentice a while ago. Yeah. When you were on that show, did you ever think, oh, this guy's going to be the president? Well, <laughs> when the time he grabbed me by the pussy, it was very, <laughs> <laughs> very clear. Uh, yeah. I did not think he'd be president, but that's when he was floating it out there. Yeah. You're like I was one of those ladies that didn't care, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 right. So he's like, oh, I'm going to be the president. And I'm thinking it's like the little kid who says they want a pony for Christmas. Uh-huh. Like, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Then it happens. And it was insane, dude, because everyone called me and they were like, oh, you know, like, this is a story. I'll tell you a brief version of it. This is a story I tell in the storytelling show, which is that everybody calls me from newspapers and stuff and outlets going, did he make inappropriate comments towards the women, this, that, the other. So I said, no, but here's one thing that happened and not, it wasn't inappropriate. We're always in the boardroom. And at the time there was really hot chicks on my show. So 
he would go around the room and compliment all the women. But I know I'm not, you know, come on. I'm 248 pounds. I'm 50 years old. I'm not his type yet. (laughs) So I know he's not going to compliment me and I'm okay with it. So he's like, Teresa, you look beautiful today. (laughs) Aubrey, you get more lovely with every week. And then out of nowhere, guys, he goes, Lisa. And I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) it's my turn. (laughs) And he goes, Lisa, doesn't Teresa look beautiful? (laughs) I swear to God. (laughs) What a dick. And I'm telling you, and, and, and yeah, I like laughed, but then I was like, you kind of inside of like, don't like, you agree? I, I, yeah. I am a chick, I am a woman, like it felt weird. And I don't think it's a coincidence that right after that, and it wasn't because of him, but it was like sealed the deal. Like, I'm not going to be invisible. I'm going to like get this weight thing taken care of. I'm going to work out my life so I don't question myself physically all the time. And like, it's weird because Trump kind of helped save my life because then I'm going to live 40 years instead of 20. I'll live that fucker. I'll tell you that much <laughs> but isn't that wild yeah, that's, yeah, that's, so great. that's hilarious do you funny. do you do you look at every situation that happens in your life and do you have this like uh, you seem like you have this ability to right away see the humor in it and would that supply a lot of your material when you get yep. up on it yep. and w- but also you know what's even better it helps me now because i honestly feel it sounds corny but nothing happens to us it happens for us mm. so if i didn't get quote unquote, what I should have, a sitcom, if I didn't get uh, the, the, the marriage I wanted or whatever, thank God, it mm. saved me from something. Right. They always mm-hmm. go, rejection is God's protection. If I had gotten that, where would my life be? Would mm-hmm. I even have a connection with my friends and family? Would I be just some crazy, fat, drunk, idle bitch? You know, mm-hmm. I won't even mention names, but we know who I'm talking about. <laughs> um, no, but it's like, I go, well, I learned from it. But then you could see the humor in it, too. So you could bring it to the stage. Yeah, yeah. And you go, oh, at least I can joke about it because I know it wasn't a tragedy. Mm-hmm. You know, I had deals with HBO, Fox for sitcoms. They didn't happen. Thank mm. God. Mm. Can you imagine? My life might be nuts. Wow. <laughs> so we go, this is what it's meant to wow. be. I was you- depressed every time you weren't on the, n- Aww, the latest roast. Thanks. Yeah. I, yeah. Actually, I think what happened was I turned down the Charlie Sheen roast uh-huh. because what happened was it felt so mean because he was such a mental guy. Mm-hmm. So I go, I can't really go and make fun of like a mentally <laughs> ill guy. So Amy Schumer said to me, this was so it's cute. Like a year after she goes, Lisa, the reason I have a show is because you said no and they put me on the road. So I was oh, so wow. proud. Oh wow! And I go, look what happened. Yeah, I went where I was supposed to. She went where she was supposed to. And again, that could be somebody else could hear that and go, oh, why did I do that? And I'm mm. like, dude, she's fucking gangster. Yeah. Yeah. I'm doing what I need to. She's doing what she is. Do you do you stay up on the comedians right now? Do you follow comedy? No one. And I'll mm. tell you why. Yeah. I don't get it. I like old fashioned. I yes. like edgy. I like uh, Rickles was my favorite. Of oh, course, yeah. I'm a big Stern Rickles fan. I love this David Tell, Jim Norton. Oh, I like the all best. the edgy guys. Yeah, you know? David Tell's my favorite. These yeah. fucking blah, 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 story, story, <laughs> no punchline. Leave my fucking stories at punchlines. <laughs> no, but I honestly never heard of anybody because watching stand up for a comic is like doing homework. Like, I know people who, like, I, I talked to a girl who was on Top Chef, and I go, do you watch cooking shows? She goes, no, it's like homework. Because it, you know it's not really like sure, that. Sure, sure. So I never watched stand-up. I couldn't name one young stand-up person. Mm. Wow, yeah, you and Ross were my favorites. Oh, on the, on my Because you guys would just rip people, and it was terrible. Well, the oh. greatest and part about me and dying. Jeff is that we were good friends, so you could say anything you want to each other. Because you yeah. know you got love. 
Now, are, are comedians, like when the cameras are off, because I can only imagine when no one's watching, you guys must be 10 times worse yeah. with each I, other. Yeah, but I'm so thin-skinned. Back then, I was really thin-skinned, so I would just like leave. Like literally, I would go to the Comedy Cellar, and they were so mean. There's this legendary table at the Comedy Cellar, and they were so mean off stage. And I was older, so I was always like, but I just did that on stage. Isn't that where it belongs? Because I thought we'd just sit and talk. Like, no. <laughs> how fucking stupid was I? And I was like, oh, the, we're off stage now. Aren't we just kind of hanging? And they'd be so mean to each other. And I'd just walk. I'd go home. Oh, wow. I would be so scared. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, all right, well, it's just not my, it was never my, I think, well, I told Dr. Drew this, and I think this is true. Right after I retired, I go, I don't think I was ever first a comic than anything else. Mm. I think I was first a connector of people. Mm. I think I felt comedy was a way to connect mm. and a way to connect with others and connect them with each other. Now that I'm still a connector, but on a different, I use a different medium. Mm. So I think that's what it is. And those guys are real comics. Like they never wanted to stop. Yeah. And I wanted to just like go home. Mm -hmm. yeah. Any, any long lasting relationships that you've built through comedy? Not really. Mm. That's what's weird. I really got out of the whole thing. Like, I'm friendly, of course, with Amy and Kathy Griffin and those girls. But the guys, I'll bump into them once in a while. You know who I'm friends with? You guys got to have this guy on if you haven't already. Do you know who Brad Williams is? Yeah. yeah. Fuck! He's, He's a, local, right? I Yes, I just went to see him. I live in Connecticut now. I just went to see him at Mohegan with my nephews. Okay, first of all handsome dwarf not kidding it is so funny i've shown women a picture of him and he's fucking hot like he's super short but he's super cute he is one of the funniest guys in the world that's the kind of guy he has a big heart mm -hmm. like i always uh, get very caught up in friendships with the guys with the big hearts like you know sebastian maniscalco yeah, yeah that yeah. guy's the same way mm. so i think it's just kind of those are the ones and ross any day of the week jeff ross could call me and ask me for a favor and i'd be like Definitely. We might need you to reach out to Brad then because I think Sal pissed him off like two years ago because we, we stood him up. How'd you yeah. stand it him was, up? Did was, you just not yeah, see him? Yeah. Did you just see tiny? <laughs> what did you do, Sal? We looked at the people at the door. Nobody's there. Oh, what shit. was, what was that? What, there, was, there was something that went, happened to us. We got stuck. Oh, so we were traveling. He was supposed, we were supposed to have him on the show. Oh, no. And he got he got pushed back and rescheduled like twice, I think. Oh, and, no. And yeah, we felt like the biggest. It's the only time we've ever done that. Massive assholes. And of course, you bring him up. As I know that's, oh, that's why I had to tell. I had to share the story. I'm like, that is the only I'll, time. I'll, that's, I'll take a picture with you guys and send it to him. Yeah. Oh, no. These guys ask if these they can stand assholes. you up a third time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, Brad was so funny because like he would literally do things like he his jokes are just so good. Like I said, he said to me once, he goes, "Oh, I'm gonna come to your show on your birthday and jump out of a cupcake." Like, he's just, like, so funny. I just love that. You know what? What I like is guys like that who you don't feel sorry for yeah because right. there's this tendency to go oh it's yeah. like no he's a fucking powerhouse yeah, don't right. worry about it right, right. confident yeah, real yeah. confident yeah yeah that, you, you, you mentioned kathy griffin that whole deal that went down mm. where she did the picture with the severed head and all that and that insane blew, yeah it went crazy but i but i think i don't think it's the same as how comedians now get you know will get told off for making jokes is it, it didn't come across as a joke i think it came across that was a problem yeah. it didn't have a punchline what I think she should have done, I mean, clearly she's made the hugest resurgence in history of comedy and is killing it. Is she okay? Good. Oh, yeah. She needs no advice from me. Mm. But <laughs> here, like she sold out, I think, Carnegie twice or something. Wow. And the thing is, you just go, well, 
I would have liked a punchline or to double down on it. Never mm-hmm. apologize unless you mean to stick to the apology. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, somebody said something about her where they should, she should have like then, you know, bring, bring out two heads and double down on it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in hindsight, you're kind of probably scrambling and going, what do I do? Because I've gotten in trouble like that. I'm not that bad. And you're just like, oh, my God, oh, my God, everybody hates me. I have no career. What do I do? Mm. And then you just kind of do the wrong thing. Mm. So I'm I think, glad you made a comeback. Well, I think comedians play such an important role in society. And we don't rethink, really well, we just they just make us laugh. Right. But comedians are always the ones that could say the shit that no one else could say. Right. And the best political commentary, the best criticisms mm-hmm. always came from comedians, historically. Oh, yeah, definitely. And when I started to not love it as much, I was like, okay, I can't retire for like three more years. I go, how I'm going to shift it is I'm going to, I'd seen a YouTube video by a guy. I love this by a comic. He said, instead of get laughs, look at it as giving laughs and your whole demeanor changes. The audience just really feels taken care of and likes you so much more. You're mm-hmm. giving instead of getting from them. Mm-hmm. And that was so awesome mm-hmm. because you're like, oh, it's really not about me. Mm-hmm. So it helped, you know, that way too. I think a lot of comics, unfortunately, it's all about them. Mm-hmm. Well, because it feeds you, right? I'm sure that's yeah. like addictive. Oh, getting yeah. All those laughs. Again, fills the hole and it's like, okay, but do I really need that much attention? Mm-hmm. You know, like now I always, my whole lesson is the smaller, the better. Like literally if I have three clients and do one workshop every three months, maybe the smaller, the better is the lesson for me mm-hmm. that I still have self-worth despite having a small business. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just learning to go, to question what we always thought would make us feel good. That's a great message. Yeah. Do you, do you ever, have you ever coached other comics? Have you ever helped young comics? I've helped like mentor them. I'm mentoring a girl. And this was really funny. She called me about my, my sister-in-law asked me to help her. And uh, she'd been discovered by a really famous guy. And she was debating if she should quit college and work with him. And I said, well, is he kind of a me too kind of guy? Are you going to get me too? And she's like, oh no, he's, you know, has a ton of bits about it, how horrible it is. And he's very famous. And I go, fucking quit college. I go, who cares about college? I go, you don't know. I go, you can always go back. I go, tell your dopey parents, you'll do one course a year and like freaking get your degree. But you know, you never will. Yeah. This is just between us. So I like kind of just go, I, I love helping people not make the mistakes I would have made, mm. which is just play it safe. Right. They'll make sure you don't quit. You know, you have to get that degree. What the fuck good did my college degree do me? <laughs> it seems like you have to go all in or exactly. yeah, you're not going to make it. Never. This is why Will Ferrell is so great. Every Will Ferrell movie, you go, maybe he's not the funniest, best actor, but he commits. Yeah, he yeah. Does. You think yeah, he he's does. that guy, yeah. which convinces me he's the funniest guy on the planet. Yeah. So with comedy, you've got to just go, come on, what are we doing? Yeah. yeah. Are we, we going to really be an accountant? Yeah. <laughs> come yeah, on. Yeah. Well, I... I I mean, I want to be respectful of your time, Lisa. Listen, you, uh, I'm a very important person. <laughs> I got a lot going on. Yeah. No, you know what's funny about life, too? It's like, you ever do this? You ever just like say yes to a bunch of crazy shit that you didn't think you would do? Yeah. Yes. That's why I got a, like a conference call in 15 minutes. Because someone asked me, listen to this shit. Somebody says to me at a benefit, I don't do a lot of galas and all that crap. And if I do, I dress like this. I'm like, I don't care. Like, you get me this way. So I was in an Oscar gala dress like this in my freaking baseball shirt and my dyke hair. Yeah. And I was like, okay. So, yeah, see? Yep. So I, she goes to me, would you be part of the Readers and Writers Festival? We had Alan Alda as our keynote. And I know your book is coming out. 
I don't have no fucking book coming out. <laughs> I said, yes, anyway. So they want to know what I want to do on the Friday night to open the freaking weekend of the Readers and Writers Conference. And I'm going, I'm doing it. Like, I don't care. So I kind of look at my email and if it makes me laugh and lights me up, I go, I'll fake it. I'll do it. That's right. But isn't that funny? Yeah. Just, we got to, people, if you're listening, and I know you're not. <laughs> please just start saying yes to some dumb shit that makes you happy and say yes to being coached by the wonderful Lisa Lampanelli yeah. because she's a baller the next she Tony knows Robbins. what she's doing thank yeah. you 100%. with a bigger dick <laughs> yes. shall I plug my website yeah. Yeah. plug all the holes yes yeah. lisalampanelli.com and by the way if you can't spell it I can't coach you I'm sorry lisalampanelli.com for workshops coaching and my storytelling shows come out and laugh you bitches yes. oh, I love it thank, thank you, you guys you're amazing God bless. Thank, thank you you're awesome thank you for listening to Mind Pump if your goal is to build and shape your body dramatically improve your health and energy and maximize your overall performance check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com the RGB Super Bundle includes MAPS Anabolic MAPS Performance and MAPS Aesthetic Nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but at a fraction of the price. The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can get it now plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump. <laughs>